Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to the Bean, the weekend edition. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Sunday, at Saturday, at the weekend. Uh, uh, we talked crazy politics with Francesca, uh, awesome tennis with Leighton Hewitt's former coach, and uh, Jack Whitehall, uh, comedian and other things. Uh, but before any of that, uh, the passing of Mike Moore, I decided to line up a couple of mics to talk about the other mic. Here's Mike Williams. Yes, I remember the cancer scare when he was in office and uh, the dark rings around the eyes. But the thing about Mike is he always came back. He was. He had incredible energy and he had the ability to bounce back. And that uh, was a real benefit to the Labour Party. Um, he led the Labour Party uh, into an election which... Uh, it was a disaster. It was when the Longy government fell apart. Mm. Mike picked up the pieces. Um, and um, he did a good job. He did uh, limit the damage, I think, and very nearly came back in the, the election that followed that. Um, he, he, was, he was an amazing bloke. And oh, he yeah. was always full of brilliant ideas. Yes, yes, and we'll talk more on that in, in a moment. But uh, for those people who uh, don't know their history, and can I say I'm always shocked when you say, oh, Mike Moore's died, or you start talking about Mike Moore, and they, people start saying, oh, is he a National Party PM? And I'm like, New Zealanders have no idea of their history sometimes. We don't teach enough about it at school. I wonder if kids could tell me who Mike Moore was. But Mike, at the time, this was, what, 1990, he was our third prime minister in 13 months. So we went Longy and then Palmer, and then that all fell apart. And then, of course, Mike, and he had... 59 days until the election. I mean, that's a poison chalice. But after that, he stayed in the backbenches for nine years because he had a calling. Or masochistic tendencies. Just a real sucker for punishment. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, one mic on mic. Here's another one, Michael Bassett uh, as well. Could you take us back to when you first got to know Mike Moore and, and the impressions that you had of him, those memories? I first met him at a Labour camp. Uh, it was a sort of a young gathering of people. I was regional chair of the Labour Party here in Auckland at the time. And this young fellow, he was a printer. Uh, he'd not long finished his apprenticeship, and, uh, but he was very keen on politics. And he came along to this camp. And um, he was always ready to sort of pop up and say a piece and ask a question and then ask a serious question that penetrated uh, an answer that he'd received from somebody around the room. And you very quickly realised that there was a searching capacity there in this fellow. Um, his knowledge, he had a thirst for it. He left school at uh, 16, I think, and uh, had just gotten a school certificate. Uh, he didn't have a tertiary education, and yet he turned out to be one of the best-read people that I ever encountered. He had a huge personal library of books, and he just devoured knowledge. Um, well, slowly but surely, he worked his way uh, up the Labour Party hierarchy, uh, that is, the party organisation, and he got the nomination for Eden in 1972, and he won it narrowly, um, and uh, he became an extraordinary um, ambassador, really, for the Kirk and Rowling government amongst young people. It's a weird thing to be uh, famous for being for 
shortest serving Prime Minister in our history. It's kind of cool. I should have gone for that uh, in my job. I should have gone for the shortest serving. But instead, two decades on. So I failed at that. And a long way to go to be the longest serving. There's some real crusty geezers around here, I tell you that. Um, now, let's keep it political, but like crazy politics, which is most of it these days, uh, courtesy of Francesca. Now, British politicians screaming Lord Such's only win was being recognised by the Guinness Book of Records for running for a seat in the UK more times than anyone else. During his many efforts, his promises included bringing back the village idiot, using the European Union's overproduction of butter to create a giant ski slope, heated toilets for pensioners and putting joggers to good use by forcing them to power treadmills to generate electricity. Clearly not a runner. And then we have our own satirical political party, the McGillicuddy Serious Party, and they had some rapper policies. They'd like to, at one point they were keen to restrict the vote to minors. Only those under 18 years of age could vote, and that was, an annou- that was announced when Parliament lowered the voting age to 18 years, and the party ran its uh, electoral advertisements during children's programming. They also called for the demolition of the Beehive, Parliament buildings, and all other buildings on a last-up, first-down basis. And their other policy that rather took my fancy was free dung. And then, of course... There's Donald Trump's promise to build a border wall and make Mexico pay for it. It's interesting that Trump's wall sits quite comfortably with the ideas of Mrs. Lop and such. Arguably, so does trying to build 100,000 affordable homes in 10 years. So as the election promises and policies are rolled out across the next eight months, let's all try and keep some perspective. It could probably be worse. Yeah, I mean, you could have a job where you have to watch all this stuff really, really closely and play it back and listen to countless interviews on it for a job. That'd be horrendous. Oh, my God. Imagine having to do that. Um, Now, the tennis has been uh, kind of interesting, I suppose, out of Australia, although some people's favourite players got knocked out along the way. Uh, Leighton Hewitt's former coach, uh, Roger Rashid, uh, talked to, to Martin over the weekend about what it takes uh, to coach these interesting personalities. See, we live in a country at the moment which is just management speak, management yeah, no, speak, corporate much. cliches and that. And if you say to somebody, oh, trust your gut or your feeling, oh, no, it's, it's, it's weary, fairy, no, no, hell no, you've got to open page 32. Thank you for saying this because I am just such a firm believer in we have instinct, don't we? We have feelings. You have we can, now. So yeah, you- well, we, we can do we can do a lot of you know we can be too statistically orientated, which I think you know a lot of that a lot of that you know a lot of data driven stuff where it takes takes a lot of emotional uh, play out of it, and sometimes you're guided by only data, and data's sort of a bit grey to be perfectly honest because uh, there are conditions around the data and. Uh, look, I, you know, I, I, just to give you an example, I, I've helped uh, you know Olympic boxers, uh, Olympic equestrians, Olympic cyclists. Uh, I, I work in motorsport with some people with people uh, that that drive wow. uh, at the at the elite level. I work with CEOs who who have dr- huge companies and um, billion billion dollar companies. So um, it's it's a and then just everyday you know people that that actually want to do as I said, it's all about personal performance first, and then that underlying that that actually helps them with their. Uh, with their development, which actually gives them sort of, you know, it sort of gives them blue sky. 
um, and, that, and that increases their ability to lead themselves first and then actually and get the best value out of themselves. I wonder what he would do with somebody like me. Um, I know it's a bit egotistical, but I, I tend to try and make these things about me so I can I can really get inside the story and understand the story. What would he do with somebody like me who doesn't really want to perform at a high level at all? Uh, in fact, I don't even want to perform. I'd rather just watch other people perform. Well, what do you do with a person like that? There's no hope, really, is there? Hey, Jake Whitehall, uh, he, speaking of performing, he performed in Auckland last night. Uh, but before he did, he talked to uh, uh, Francesca Rudkin. Oh, not last night, not before, Saturday night. Anyway, over the weekend, somewhere. He was somewhere performing. He's a comedian. Um, and then they did my favourite thing of all. Uh, an interviewer talked to a comedian about how to make comedy and none of that's funny. Are there certain sort of comedic topics that you go, okay, it's too soon, but that might be funny or, you know, might be able to use that as material in a period of time? Yeah, I think so. I'm, you know, I'm relatively careful about what I say, but I definitely skirt around a few issues that are a little taboo. um, And I like kind of making the audience feel a little nervous every now and again by bringing up something and then uh, kind of, you know, doing some jokes about it but you know i'm not like dave Chappelle or ricky gervais i don't i I think i probably have um boundaries for myself that i that i that i try not to cross just because i've got in in trouble in the past for jokes but that said like i'm always prone to to kind of pushing pushing it a little bit i'm sure jack's very funny but not there um i've got into trouble before for criticizing comedians on, uh, in my podcasts for not being funny in their interviews. Um, take a joke. That's all I to say about that. I'm Glenn ZB. Uh, stay funny. That has been News Talk ZB and I'll see you back here again tomorrow. Uh, it won't be funny. It'll just be me talking about being funny.